Greetings from the saints of Franconia Baptist Church. It is a joy and an honor to be with you this morning to open God's word. Know that we pray for you often and we are delighted to hear of God's grace in the life of this congregation. But let's begin our time by going to our almighty king and asking him for help and asking him to bless the preaching of his word. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. All for the glory and praise of your dearly beloved Son, who lives with you, who reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. Authority gets a bad rap these days, doesn't it? Authority gets a bad rap. And it's easy to see why. We all know examples of those in positions of authority who have misused their power. And I imagine each one of us has had examples in our own lives where someone wronged you, someone used their power to harm you or to hurt you. The abuse of power explains in large measure why so many people these days are suspicious of power and they view everything through the lens of power dynamics. In 1887, Lord Acton said something really famous that you all know, the phrase, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. The full quote in the letter goes like this, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Well, this morning, I have the privilege of drawing our attention to someone who is the exception to that rule. I draw your attention this morning to someone who has absolute power, someone who has all authority in heaven and on earth, someone who, according to A.W. Tozer, has an incomprehensible plenitude of power. And yet this someone uses his omnipotence not to harm, but to heal the hurting. Someone who uses his absolute power not to ruin, but to rescue the perishing. So please open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 11. If you're using the, the Bibles provided, you can find this on page 863. So while you're turning there, let me just give you a brief summary of where we are in the gospel according to Luke. Jesus Christ has begun his ministry in the northern part of Israel, up in the Galilee. He's been preaching and teaching and traveling from village 
He's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom and performing signs and wonders in the midst of all of Israel. His message reveals that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, who has come into the world to seek and to save the lost. In verses 1 to 10 of chapter 7, Jesus has just healed and rescued the sick servant of the Roman centurion who was on the brink of death. And in our passage this morning, in verses 11 to 17, Jesus comes face to face with death itself. And so the question we ask that our text answers is this. What happens when the one who is Lord over death attends a funeral? This is what Holy Scripture says. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier and the bears stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My prayer this morning is that we would meet the risen Son of God in this passage. And that by his grace and for his glory, he would show us more of himself to our everlasting joy. So first, let's walk through the passage verse by verse. And then we'll have a few implications, words of application at the end. Now, John warned me that there's some serious note takers in this congregation. And I don't want you to be alarmed. I'll give you three points at the end. So just relax, okay? Let's begin in verse 11 where Luke sets the scene for us. Look again at verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So soon afterward, just a few days after this episode in verses 1 to 10 where he healed the the servant of the centurion, Jesus leaves his home base of ministry in the north, in Capernaum. We know that from verse one. And he begins traveling with this sizable entourage, this big group of his followers, down to a small town called Nain. Now children, you know you have those maps in the back of your Bible that maybe you don't ever look at? If you look at those maps, you'll find this little town called Nain. 
Now, it's in the south-southwest. That's where Jesus is traveling. It's about 25 miles, which would have been about a, a one day's journey walk. So it was, it was a day's long journey, so Jesus probably set out walking early in the morning to be able to get there when he did. It's gonna take him all day to walk to Nain. It's striking, notice in the text, Luke doesn't tell us anything about the purpose of this visit. Jesus did not see fit to tell anyone where they were going or what they were going to do. Nain was not a destination type city. It was small and it was insignificant. It's, it's in the Jezreel Valley. It's located on a, on a hill called Moray. If you know your Old Testament, you know that centuries earlier, on the other side of that hill, there was the only son of a Shunammite woman. And you remember what Elisha the prophet did. He, he raised that boy from the dead. But nothing had ever happened like that in Nain until, until today, until this passage. So Jesus walks all day long and he finally arrives at his journey at the gates of the city of Nain. And what does he meet? A funeral procession. Verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. So a, a group of mourners are passing through the gate on their way to bury a man, a young man who had died and his body, his, his lifeless body is being carried out. According to Old Testament law, he would need to be buried outside the city lest you come in contact with the defiling corpse. So given the distance from Capernaum to Nain, it's likely that it's twilight. It's likely that it's twilight and that's the typical time to have a Jewish funeral. We know quite a bit from Jewish, uh, about Jewish funeral customs by just reading our New Testaments. Given the warm climate in Israel, you didn't, keep, you didn't keep corpses overnight. You buried someone, if you were Jewish, the day that you died. Lazarus was buried the day that he died. Jesus was buried the same day that he died. They didn't have hearses in the first century. After washing and anointing the body of the deceased, they would carry the body on a, on a on, it says beer, and your Bible may say uh, coffin. It's just, it's just a wooden plank, a stretcher that's open to carry the body to, to the graveyard. This procession would have included family or friends, neighbors. Sometimes we know from the gospels they would hire professional mourners, often women who would wail and sing dirges and play music to announce the great sorrow of the procession. But of all the funerals described in the whole Bible, this is likely the saddest of all. Look at verse 12 again. A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Luke tells us not only this poor mother is grieving the loss of her son, it's her only son. 
And on top of all this catastrophic grief, we're told she's a widow. Her husband is already dead. She's buried him. But at least on that day, she walked with her son by her side. She's made this march before. But now she's walking alone. Yes, there was a great crowd behind her, but no one's walking beside her. This woman walks alone. We know from the Old Testament that widows were the most vulnerable in Israel. That's why God provides for widows and protects widows. This woman lost her son and now she has no one to protect her and to provide for her. One commentator called this woman an orphaned parent. The Old Testament prophets, when they describe the pinnacle of pain, you remember how they describe it? Jeremiah 6, 26. O daughter of my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes and make mourning as for an only son. Make a most bitter lamentation. You see, this woman has lost her only son, and the family line has died when this son died. This poor widow's present is uncertain, and her future is gone. All she has is her past. And so the entire town of Nain, they know the tragedy that has befallen this woman, so they come out to support her in her time of need. But this woman's mourning alone. And it's at precisely, brothers and sisters, at this moment when Luke reveals to us the purpose of Jesus' visit. Why has he been walking all day? Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Luke intends for us to understand that the Savior made the 25-mile trip all day long to show compassion on this widow. Did you notice what word is repeated three times? It's, three, it's repeated three times in English, and it's repeated three times in the original. Look at it again, verse 13. It's the word her. Jesus came all the way to Nain for her. He came to show compassion upon her. Amidst this entire crowd of mourners, Jesus sees one person, her. And he speaks to her. Do not weep. Can you imagine walking up to a grieving widow and telling her to stop crying? The key to understanding that command, do not weep, as a word of compassion, is look what Luke calls Jesus. Look at it again. 
What, is G- what does Luke call Jesus in verse 13? Don't look at me, look at your Bibles. When the Lord saw her. See that? That's significant. Up until this point in Luke's gospel, do you know, do you know who's called Jesus Lord? Angels, demons, John the Baptist, the disciples, a leper, chapter 7, verse 6, a centurion. But Luke's never referred to Jesus as Lord yet. But here, the first time in the gospel of Luke, the narrator refers to Jesus as the Lord. The Lord, the one who is full of compassion for sinners. And so he says to this woman with a heart of compassion, don't weep. Verse 14, then he came up and touched the beer and the bears stood still. A picture of the scene, grieving widow in the front of the procession. And Jesus addresses her first and then he does something even more shocking. He approaches the open coffin, the stretcher carrying the corpse, the dead body of this young man and he touches it he stops the funeral in his tracks but he's touching where the corpse is according to the old testament law numbers 19 11 to 22 touching a dead body def- brought defilement it made one ceremonially what unclean But it's not a sinful Israelite who's touching that that funeral procession, is he? It's the Holy One of Israel. So Jesus forces the pallbearers to stop. He halts the whole funeral, and then he speaks to the corpse. Verse 14, Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. The poor widow, she's probably in shock. She didn't ask for anything. There's no indication in the text that she knows Jesus, has heard of Jesus. She certainly didn't ask him to do anything. But Jesus commands this corpse, young man, I tell you, get up. That's something that you might say to a teenage boy who's overslept his alarm, right? Time to get up, son. But the mighty words of Jesus Awake this dead man from the clutches of death itself. Look at verse 15. And the dead man, Dr. Luke doesn't want you to think he's just dozing off. The dead man set up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. This isn't some kind of resuscitation. The dead man sits up and I wonder what words he spoke. Don't, don't you wish Luke had recorded that? What was the first thing out of his mouth? We're not told. But my favorite part of the whole passage is right there. Jesus gave him to his mother. Isn't that beautiful? You read the Old Testament prophets. One of the prophets did the same thing. Elijah. The Savior knows more than anything in the whole world. This grieving mother She wants to hold her only son again. So he says, here's your son, back to you, alive and well. Just imagine that reunion for a minute. 
tears of mourning replaced with tears of joy. Instead of a funeral, it's a welcome home party. It wasn't a time for mourning anymore. It's time to celebrate. Fire all the wailing women. We don't need you today. It's time to rejoice for this, my son. My only son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Now, what are we supposed to make of all this? What implications are we supposed to draw from this amazing, this amazing account from the ministry of our Lord? Well, Luke tells us the response of those who were there that day in verses 16 and 17. And I would argue that Luke intends for us to respond in the same way. Look again at verses 16 and 17. This ought to inform our response. Jesus reveals something of himself in this passage that ought to provoke a response of worship and witness. So if you, think, if you wanna think through application, it's under these two categories, worship and witness. First, worship, verse 16. Fear or dread seized them all. And here is the worship. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Worship. And then witness, verse 17. And this report about him, what? Spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So there are three Three aspects of our Lord's person and work from this text that ought to fuel your worship of him and your witness for him, okay? And here's the outline. If if you've been waiting this whole time, here are the points. Ponder his purpose, ponder his pity, and ponder his power. Ponder his purpose, Ponder his pity and ponder his power. And each one of these, as we ponder each one of these, my prayer is that God would use these to fuel our worship of Christ and our witness for him. Number one, ponder his purpose. In this text, the Lord's sovereign purpose is revealed in the raising of this young boy in Nain. Jesus is constantly fulfilling scripture. He's constantly fulfilling the Lord's sovereign purpose in the gospel according to Luke. If you read chapter one, verses one to four, that's why Luke wrote this gospel in the first place, to give us certainty about the things that we've been taught in view of all the things accomplished among us. And as the son of God in the flesh, Jesus knows all things And he's never late. He's never late. Now, living in the Washington, D.C. metro area, we know a thing or two about running late. Amen? The the, the, the perpetual nightmare of the D.C. metro traffic is, is, is notorious, right? You leave home expecting to take you 30 minutes to get someplace, but then there's an unforeseen wreck on 95. And Waze and Google Maps 
did not help you, and you end up being late, right? But friends, the Lord Jesus is never late. He knows all things. He doesn't need a GPS to get someplace on time. He knows precisely when to leave Capernaum and walk all day long to meet this widow precisely outside the gates of Nain. It's possible, given when he left, that he left Capernaum before this young boy even died. Jesus doesn't need a GPS to arrive on time, and he's never late. His good, sovereign purposes ought to cause us to glorify him and to bear witness to him. Friend, maybe this morning you find yourself growing tired. You're growing tired of waiting for him, of waiting for his good purposes to come in your life. You've been waiting for some good thing and you've prayed for it and you've longed for it. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's, maybe it's some victory over a sin that you've struggled with for a long time and you simply can't put it to death. What are you waiting for? It just it hasn't happened yet. And, and you're tempted to believe that either Jesus is withholding something good for you or he's just running late. Friend, listen to me. Even when Jesus shows up in the middle of a funeral, he's not late. The widow of Nain, if she were here this day, she would testify that Jesus' timing is perfect. He's never late. His sovereign purposes will be accomplished. One time, Jesus seemed to arrive late at another funeral the funeral of his friend Lazarus. Remember what happened? Martha runs up to Jesus. Lord, if you had only, what, been here, my brother would not have died. And what did, what did Jesus say to Martha? Sorry I was late? No. Jesus looked at Martha right in the eyes. Remember what he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Friend, you can trust the Lord's wisdom and his love. You can trust that he has ordained this time of waiting for your good and for his glory. Your times are in his hands, in his nail-pierced hands. Trust his timing because all his purposes will be accomplished. I know you've heard John tell you before that the fundamental posture of the Christian life is one of waiting. So as you wait, remember that the Lord himself waits to be gracious to you. And he exalts himself 
to show mercy to you. Blessed are those who wait for him. Isaiah 30, 18. No one who ever waits on the Lord Jesus will ever be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, over lunch today, over lunch today, ponder God's mercy to you in Christ. Talk to one another over lunch about how his saving purpose found you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins and how the Lord brought you the life-giving gospel of his grace. And let's pray for boldness. Let's pray for boldness that the Lord would help us to witness to others of the sovereign purposes and the saving purposes of God in Christ. Jesus is the Alpha. He's the Omega. He knows the end from the beginning. So ponder his purpose. That's number one. Number two, ponder his pity. Don't just ponder his purpose. Ponder his pity. In Luke chapter 7, if anything is clear, it's that the Lord Jesus has a tender compassion for sinners. The beginning of the chapter, Jesus' compassion is demonstrated to this Roman centurion's servant. And in our, in our passage, we see a grieving widow receive his compassion. And then Luke chapter 7 ends with this sinful woman drawing near to Jesus, and he lavishes his forgiving grace upon her. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Look again one more time at verse 13. The Lord saw her and had compassion on her. You see, there's two steps, right? Jesus sees and then Jesus has compassion. You ever thought about it? It's easy to avoid seeing those around us who need our compassion, isn't it? It's easy to not see them. Perhaps we need to confess this morning and to repent of a failure of seeing those in need of mercy around us. Those who are hurting in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, even those in our families who are hurting, maybe even in this church. You, you, you don't see the person that you know is in a desperate need for compassion. Sometimes we don't see people who are hurting because we don't want to make it worse. We don't want to say something or do something that's going to bring more grief upon them. And instead of reaching out, we can remain distant and we can remain silent. But friends, that's not the way of Jesus, is it? We need to confess, if that's us this morning, we need to confess and repent of a cold-hearted failure to see. And brothers and sisters, that cold-hearted failure to see, we can be led to repentance by looking at the heart of Christ. One of my favorite dead pastors. Everyone needs favorite dead pastors. I love that you have some living pastors, but you need some dead ones. My favorite dead pastor, one of my favorites, he died when he was 29 years old, Robert Murray McChain. 
And in his journal, he said this, the only cure for a cold heart is to look at the heart of Jesus. His heart's on display. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And those of you who've read Luke's gospel over and over again, do you hear in that phrase something familiar? You should. It shows up two other times in Luke's gospel. Chapter 10, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And then a few chapters later, we read, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and embraced and kissed him. You see, the tender compassion of the good Samaritan and the prodigal's father is pictured for us here outside the gates of name where this savior of sinners travels all day long to show compassion on one widow. It's amazing. Christian, if your heart is cold this morning, behold the heart of Christ. Behold the heart of Christ. There is no mercy so great in all the world that can be found in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think about it, brothers and sisters. The same Savior who showed pity to the widow at Nain lives today. And he delights to show the same compassion upon weary and hurting sinners. Isn't that beautiful? His heart is just as full of compassion for you today as it was full of compassion for that, wi wi that widow at Nain. The one who made the widow's heart sing for joy at the gates of Nain still lives. And he can put a new song in your mouth. You can bring your sorrows and lay them at the pierced feet of Jesus because he lives and he delights to show you mercy and he is nearer to you right now than the light by which you see and he is nearer to you than the air by which you breathe. He is nearer to you than even you are to yourself and not a prayer nor a sigh nor a tear ever escapes his notice. Oh, brothers and sisters, ponder his pity and let us be eternally grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ saw us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and by his eternal mercy made us alive together with Christ. Ponder his pity. Third and finally, we don't just ponder his purpose we don't just ponder his pity, but if anything is clear in this passage, it's this, number three, ponder his power. Ponder his power. We see not only a display of his power, but how he uses his power. The Lord's almighty power ought to fuel our worship and witness of him. 
And Jesus demonstrates his power over our greatest enemy, death itself. I love it. Isn't it awesome? When Jesus shows up at a funeral, someone always gets raised. (laughs) Amazing. Our Lord Jesus has the power to transform funerals into welcome home parties. And by his power, he reveals at Nain to not only be the Messiah, but to also be the Lord God of Israel, who's the defender and the protector of widows, Psalm 68, 5. And by his power, I love this, Jesus displays that he has the power to do that which the law of God was powerless to do. The law declared sinners unclean by touching the dead, Numbers 19. But Jesus touches the dead and instead of being defiled, Jesus restores. Jesus gives life. Jesus heals. Jesus resurrects. Jesus makes the unclean clean because he's able to do that which the law of God is powerless to do. The law declares sinners unclean. But the Holy One of Israel is able to raise the dead. Now, I don't know all of you. I know many of you. But I know this. Whatever you're going through right now, there's nothing that a good resurrection won't fix. The sin of a creature could never be so filthy as the blood of the Son of God is holy. And on that day in Nain, Jesus touched death and he gave life. But as we read in Luke's gospel later on, there's another day coming when Jesus himself was touched by death. A day when Jesus himself was an outcast. A day of great mourning in Israel. A day when he suffered outside the gates. A day that he was deemed unclean and cursed and defiled. A day when Jesus himself experienced the curse of death in his body on the tree. And on that day, Jesus hung dying, bearing the penalty for our sins. Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He bore the judgment of God for all who would ever turn and trust in him. He took the penalty for our sins. He bore the wrath of God in our place. Our sentence of death was born by the Lord of life. Friend, death touched Jesus on that day 2,000 years ago on the cross. But death could not hold Jesus. He rose again three days later for our justification. He rose again and he ascended into heaven and he's ruling it, reigning at God's right hand and he offers life and forgiveness to anyone who turns and trusts in him, to anyone 
who receives him in the empty hands of faith. That's the good news of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, the the one who gave life in name can give you life this morning. And he gives life by giving you himself. And so if you don't know the Savior this morning, you receive him, not by works, but by the empty hands of faith. And Jesus promises those who call upon him, he will never cast you out. Let me speak to the parents here this morning. I have found strong encouragement for those of us who are parents who have children who are lost. Perhaps there's a mother here this morning and you're worried sick about the spiritual state of one of your kids. Let this passage be a glorious reminder that even when our children are far from the Lord, His omnipotence is never far from them. Let this be a reminder that with a word, with almighty power, he can raise their souls from the dead. J.C. Ryle put it like this, quote, let us never despair for our lost children. Let us continue to pray for them Our young men and our young women may seem to be traveling on the way to ruin. But let us pray on. Who can tell that he who met the funeral at the gates of Nain may yet meet our unconverted children and say with almighty power, young man, young woman, arise. With Christ, nothing is impossible. Nothing. So don't despair. Keep on loving. Keep on praying. Keep on sharing. Trusting that the Lord's power and mercy will come. Brothers and sisters, Jesus reveals himself at name to be more than a prophet. Those who saw him, they said, a great prophet has arisen and God has visited his people. And both of those are true. Jesus is the greatest prophet. He's the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Behold, one greater than Solomon and Elijah and Moses is here. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's the one to whom the prophets long to see. But he is also God in the flesh. They were right, weren't they? God indeed had visited that town. So brothers and sisters, as we close, let's just remind ourselves of one more thing. We not only look back at this event in Nain, but I hope as we read read through it, you notice that by his power, Jesus is going to do something similar at the end of the age. This passage is like a preview of coming attractions. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, that an hour is coming 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You see, this miracle at Nain is a preview of what's to come. Jesus will use his power to judge his enemies, but to save all of those that he has made his friends. He's gonna use his power not to harm, but to heal the hurting. Not to ruin, but to rescue the perishing. So as you ponder his purpose, as you ponder his pity, And as you ponder his power, know that a day is coming that the prophets wrote about. He will swallow up death forever and he will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, Even if you had given us a thousand worlds, you have only one son to give. And you gave us him. And he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will you not also freely with him graciously give us all things? Help us to trust in Christ. Help us to love him. Help us to tell others about him. And help us long for the day when we see him face to face. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.